Today, we've been going through this uh, church series, and um, this is one of those topics uh, about about church life that's, that's just, it's really hard. It's hard because I think I could probably talk about this uh, every week. I think I could talk about this particular topic every week and probably not do it justice. Um, we're going to talk today about the idea of forgiveness. We're going to talk specifically about the church being a, a, a group that forgives one another. Now, my friend Neil Anderson one time said uh, he believes this is at the core of why so many churches never... Neil Anderson's a, it's a long, long time, very well-known author, and he, and he speaks all over the world. He said, I believe this is the reason that churches don't experience the outpouring of God, because we harbor so much unforgiveness at times in our heart. The reason I think forgiveness is, is, is hard um, is because, well, sin is alive. Look, man, if uh, it, it, I would say it's impossible for you to live in this world and not be hurt. Because sin is alive on planet Earth. It's impossible for you to operate in a church. It's impossible for you to live in a church and live amongst each other and not get hurt because sin is alive in people. We're not home yet. We're, we're just not home yet. And because what I mean is we're not in heaven yet. And, and from the time we came to Christ to the time that I see Christ face to face, it's in the in-between that I can promise you, if you stick around Christian people long enough, you're going to get hurt, right? And there's sometimes I think we even ha- have these unrealistic expectations about, you know, well, can you believe they treated me like that in church? And my response is, I can't believe they treated you like that anywhere. You know, that was wrong at Walmart, uh, you know, that, that was wrong at a yard sale, much less, just because we're, I carried Christ with me everywhere, you know? I mean, it, it, what, what they said about you was wrong everywhere, not just because they said it under a steeple or in the context of Christian life. You know, if you live in Christian life long enough, you're going to get hurt. And I can also tell you this, if you stick around the church long enough, I can promise you, without reservation, you will also do the hurting. You just will. It, it, it doesn't make it Right? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make it even normal. It makes it the fact that we are human beings and, and there's going to be times that you really wish you could relive something. If we're going to live one to another in Christian community, we're going to hurt each other from time to time. We've got to learn how to, how to deal with that. Now, when you look at the New Testament, the idea of forgiveness is everywhere, but I'm going to be really, really honest with you. It's all over the New Testament, but I'm going to be really transparent with you this morning, right? This is, no, this is not just me trying to look like a, a good, awesome you know, Christian up here. I really do struggle. I struggle to forgive. I, I really do. Um, I, I, I struggle. I struggle, even though I know I've been forgiven, there, there, it's still hard for me at times to forgive. I, it, I struggle, I struggle to forgive, even though I've been forgiven, and I struggle to forgive, even though I crave forgiveness in my own life. It's really hard for me sometimes to give it, and I don't like that part of me. Uh, I, I don't really enjoy that particular aspect of my heart, but it's the truth. I don't, I don't offer forgiveness sometimes as I should. I struggle to forgive because I'm, I'm human. I struggle, and I, but I'll tell you, the, the, I think the real reason I probably struggle to forgive is because forgiveness is really easy on paper. Like as a theory, forgiveness is awesome. The problem with it is that 
Forgiveness comes with real names and real faces. And that's where it changes, right? It, it, it gets really hard when, you know, these people that you have to, have to learn to forgive, they have Facebook accounts. They have Instagram accounts. They work two offices down. Or you see them every Thanksgiving. You see them every Christmas at the family get-together. Even if they're not at the family get-together, they're still in the photos of your history. Forgiveness is hard. It's really, really, really hard. Paul tells us this in Colossians. We're going to go to a different place today, but he tells us as a one-another statement. He says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Okay, that's... Does that feel hard? <laughs> I mean, that just feels hard. Let's take the first one. Make allowance for each other's faults. Very few people do that anymore. It, it, it seems like we're just fault finders all the time. There's all kinds of us that are fault finders. And, and to forgive anyone that offends us, man, in the, I don't know about you, but America in the last 20 years, like we have entire departments in the, in the marketplace of the offensive how do we handle cultural offenses? Like everything's about offending. It's, it's, it, that word has been so overused. I, can we all make up a new word? Like I'm so sick of hearing offended. Life is full of offense, but it, it just, it's the reality. But the scriptures tell us to forgive those who offend, and that is really hard. So, so here's what happens. Uh, where we're going to go this morning, we're going to go to Matthew 18, okay? Matthew 18 is, is a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's in the kind of the middle part of your Bible. And I'm going to give you a little context. Jesus is talking to the disciples. And, and there in Matthew 18, Peter comes up to him with a question. And it's a really good question. Because Peter's doing the math. You can tell Peter's been thinking about this. Like he's premeditated how this is going to go. And this is, this is the question that he asked Jesus. I put it up here. Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Jesus came with a great answer. Peter came with a great question. So it's in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 is what we're going to read, right? Here we go. It says, Peter came and, and said to Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now, you need to understand... If, it's been a while since I've read up on some of the, the intense Jewish law here, but if I'm not mistaken, Peter was going above and beyond. To forgive somebody seven times was, in other words, he's going the extra mile. He's going the extra, extra mile. So Peter's feeling pretty good about himself right now, okay? Hey, should I get seven times? And so then Jesus' answer comes back. It's, it's radically different. Jesus said to Peter in verse 22, I, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying, now look, Peter, 490 times. But look, on that 491st, you take your sword out and you run them through, buddy. You have green light to just chop their head off, right? No, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that you, at the 491st, it all becomes, you can forget it. Well, let me give you a modern day way of saying that. Hey, Peter, you forgive them seven to the power of ten. Just add infinitum. Just, just keep going. You just keep going, Peter. You, you just keep going with your forgiveness. Now, I want to tell you it's hard. And I, I wish I could, I could give you some deep... You know, what, you know what I really wish I could do this morning? 
I wish I could give you like this insanely awesome algorithm to help you learn to forgive. But I can't. There was a famous, uh, famous uh, theologian. He's in heaven now. I, I love his writings. Uh, maybe, maybe I love him for this reason. His name was Warren Wiersbe. And Warren Wiersbe uh, one time said, I read an article that he wrote in the 1970s about preaching. And he said something pretty amazing. He said, I have given up the need to try to be profound. And I was like, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> in other words, I'm keeping it simple. The older I get, the more I realize it's about doing it, not just trying to wow people with my knowledge. Well, I, let me tell you something. I've been accused of a lot of things as a minister. I have never been accused of being profound, so that one's off the table, all right? I'm way more about spiritual survival. I'm serious. I'm about spiritual survival, and I really wish today, I mean it with all my heart, I wish I could come to you and say, look, here is the exact process that if you will follow this to the letter, you'll be able to forgive anybody for anything. This week I did something kind of cool. At least it was for me. Uh, I, I like cooking out of iron skillets, and uh, I'm not a great cook. I mean, there, I, I, look, Clint Eastwood said a man's got to know his limitations, so I kind of know what my limitations are when it comes to cooking, right? So, I, but I do like I do like uh, iron, cast iron skillets, and and it's kind of a known rule in my house. Like they're. Uh, I'm kind of a diva about them. Don't touch them. Don't get near them. I'm going to clean them out a certain way. And, you know, and so, my, of course, my sons love that because they ain't got to do it. You know, but I had this way because my, listen, my cast iron skillets are like Teflon, man. There's nothing sticks on those things. And the litmus test is can you cook an egg on them and then it doesn't stick. And I can. I mean, they're slick, man. And I've taken years to get them to that place. And so if you come to my house, don't mess with my skillets. Um, on, I've only got two of them. So, but here's one thing I've never done. I've never made skillet cornbread. Never tried that, right? I'm not really into that. that to me, that's like higher level cooking, okay? Some of you are like, what? That's random. That's not just warming something up out of a can, man. I mean, you, gotta, you, gotta, that, that could, you could embarrass yourself if you don't know what you're doing, right? And everybody's depending on this cornbread, and it came out awful. So I go into my cast iron skillet, and I text my mom, and I said, Mom, you make skillet out of cornbread, right? Yeah. I mean, you cornbread out of a skillet. Yeah, I do. Text me, the, text me the recipe. So she does. And I am following that thing with nuclear precision, man. Like when it says two tablespoons of this stuff, I'm like lazing it up and I'm like knocking it off and I'm putting it in there. You know, and if it says this much oil, I'm like putting you know, one egg, not two. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm, I'm like, this is, I'm making a bomb here. You would think I'm making something really, really potent. And then it came out good. Like I flipped it over, it fell out. It actually ate pretty good. I, I, I was kind of stunned. I wish forgiveness could be that way. I wish that I could text you in this, you know, pontificating pastoral moment, this awesome algorithm of how to forgive somebody, but a recipe, but I, I don't have it. I don't have it because it's hard. What I can do this morning is tell you why it matters because forgiveness, we're all at a different place. And by the way, I w even if you need to get out your phone and get on in your notes app, I would encourage you to take notes this morning, not because I am profound. I think we know better. No, because you're going to need it. If you live in this world long enough, you're going to need what the Word of God says today about forgiveness. So here's why it matters. Number one, I would say to you, it matters because my faith is built upon it. 
You do realize that your entire Christian faith is built upon the simple idea that God forgave you. So he takes forgiveness really seriously. You know why? He sent his son. He sent his son to die for us, go into a grave. You just saw that that moving video of, of Jesus being on a cross and taking the punishment of our sins and going into the grave and coming out of the grave and rising out of the grave so that we could actually take on the very nature of Christ. My whole, my whole faith is built on forgiveness, man. And if it, you've got to be able to learn how to do it, even though it's hard. Paul said in Ephesians 4, look at what he said, Ephesians 4, uh, 31. He said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. But let all bitterness and wrath be put away from you. Put it off from you along with malice. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. You see how he ended that? He's reminding you, hey, by the way, you can forgive because you have actually been forgiven. We're told, we are told to put away, like shun. Like it, 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 Paul uses a lot of imagery of put on, put off. If you, for those of you that, that read, like, like to get into deeper Bible study, pay attention to how many times the Apostle Paul uses the words put on. It's like put on clothes. You wear it. Put on this. Put on that. This particular case says put off, like take it off you. Get it away from you. You actually have the power to control what you keep out of your life. Because, you know, if, you, if you've been forgiven and you know what it means to, to be forgiven, let me tell you something, man. If you've been restored by God and if you've been reconciled by God, that whole thing that's stirring up inside of you about holding bitterness to somebody, it doesn't feel good. Like, it, it literally feels bad. Your, your, your spirit's wanting to reject it. It's like, you know, if you've ever, if you've ever gotten drunk, now look, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, okay, so y'all need to relax. Some of you are like, see, you gave yourself away as soon as you did it. You did it. Like, y'all need to light yard. This is 4th of July. We're celebrating independence. Y'all about to shoot some fireworks. Let's have a, listen, if you've ever gotten drunk before and you puked, you know why? Because your body's like, hey, stupid. You're not meant for this. This is poison in your body. I'm going to vomit now in front of all your friends at the worst possible moment of the party. And they're going to talk about it when you're 47 at the high school reunion. Right, you know? Yeah. Because your body's going, you weren't meant for this. This is killing you. I'm going to throw it out. That's what it means to put off. Great imagery right before lunch, I know. It's rejection. If you are invaded with Christ, you're going to reject a bitter spirit. It's poison to your body. And it's poison to your body because you're changed now. You're different now. But there's more, I, I, I think, with this. And here's the second part. I would say forgiveness matters because healing is a process, right? Now, look, I, I, I tell you what I'm learning in, in, as I've gotten older. I'm not, I know I'm not that old, but I'm definitely older, and I certainly feel older. Um, I've learned that forgiveness is a, a process by which it just takes time. And I think when in verse 20. Two, 
When Jesus says to Peter, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. 70 times seven. You know why I really do believe that he was telling Peter, hey, Peter, you just keep doing it. You just keep doing it. You keep forgiving. And you keep forgiving. You keep forgiving. You keep at it, Peter. You keep at it. Keep at it, Peter. Keep doing it. Because healing is a process. You ask anybody in cognitive therapy, and they will tell you that healing doesn't happen in a day. Healing takes time. You know why? Because the wounds are real. Wounds are real, man. The things people said to you, or the things people did to you, or the things people even did to somebody that you love. Sometimes we're, sometimes we're deeply wounded over things that didn't even happen to us. It just happened to somebody that we cared about. Those wounds are real, man, and, and it, doesn't just ha- it doesn't just go away in a day. Healing is a, is a, is a process, and, and, and I'll tell you, I, I've lear- I'm learning that even in, in my own life. It, I have to keep doing it, because I'll, I'll be driving down the road. I know this never happens to you. Um, I'll be driving down the road, and I'll be having a great day, and then somebody's name will come across my mind, and my mood changes. That's when you know 70 times 7. 70 times 7. That ever happened to you? You're just going throughout your day, everything's fine. And for whatever reason, you see something or you hear something, or you're, you're doom scrolling on your feed, you know, you're scrolling, and you see that person's picture that you thought you unfriended, but you forgot and you didn't. And you see that image and you're like, mm, I forgot how much I hated you. That's the Holy Spirit saying, mm. you see, it's 70 times 7. 70 times 7. And I'll be even more transparent with you. Like, there are people, there are people that have either have, have hurt me or hurt somebody I care about. That <clears throat> there are people that, and I'll tell you the other litmus test when that person's name does come across your heart and you don't feel the bitterness and you don't feel the anger and you don't go back and play the tapes. You know, you got to stay mad, you got to play the tapes, right? So you, you, you don't have to play the tapes. You're like, no, God, th- that situation was bad, but man, you just, you can feel it. It's really inside. You can feel it. No, it's, it's good. I, we're, we're, we're square. Everything's lined up and, and we're okay. And then you know, oh, it's good. And I've got people like that. I've got people that I can see them at Kroger or I can, I can think about them or I can whatever. And I, I can see somebody that reminds me of somebody and I can go, oh, oh, I, I'm okay with them. And then I've got people that if I'm being totally candid with you, I am nowhere close. I mean, nowhere close. Like, I cannot ask God to prosper them. Oh, I can. I'm just not ready to yet. <laughs> Isn't that, is that bad? I think that's bad. I think it is. It's hard. When Jesus said, pray for your enemies, oh, I can pray. Mm-hmm. He didn't tell me what I should pray, so I'm going to pray. I'll pray all kinds of stuff. Right? Oh, y'all are looking at me like y'all are. Y'all got. Maybe y'all should come up here and preach this, right? Yeah, I can pray for them, man. Bless those who curse you. Oh, now that is below the belt. Come on, really? Yes, Jason. Bless those who curse you. There's an old country song I'm thinking of right now. 
just says, I just want to be mad for a while. You ever had that feeling? I think I'll get there one day, but I just want to be mad. Can I, st- can I be mad for a while? That's what I want to do. Forgiveness is hard. 70 times 7. 70 times 7. Which leads me to another reason I can tell you that it matters. I can't tell you always how to do it. I can tell you that it matters because the Bible tells me that we are to keep no record of wrongs. Now, this one's hard. This one's really hard. If we're going to live one to another in the church life and we're going to live as Christians together, we are told not to keep a record of wrongs. 1 Corinthians 13 says it this way. You you hear this read at at weddings, which I think is a phenomenal place to read 1 Corinthians 13. (laughs) Because <laughs> it's not, it, hey, time out. I'm going to give you all a little, little thing on my side of the fence. For a Every time you hear 1 Corinthians 13 read at, 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 at almost said funerals, weddings, um, that's another preacher joke sometimes, but that, that does happen sometimes. Um, I, I, I've heard it read so many times. I, Love is patient. Love is, it's sappy. Like if it were a sponge, it'd be dripping. You know, it's just sappy. Oh, love is, love is, love never thinks of itself. And you hear these ministers, we, we drum up this like sappy voice and we read 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 13 is a contract, man. 1 Corinthians 13 is a contract of choice. Love does not think of itself. That's not an emotion. That's a choice. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. That's a choice. Ask somebody who's been married for a while. You choose to forget. I'll never forget. I asked this couple one time. I renewed their vows on their 50th wedding anniversary. And I asked Miss Peggy, what can you tell me? This was offline. This wasn't even in front of everybody. So I said, Miss Peggy, what, like, what's the secret sauce? You know what she said? Never blinked. She said, a whole lot of patience. I'm like, I'm going to remember that. A whole lot of patience. James is good, but he ain't that good. And I'm good, but I'm not that good. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Let me tell you why this matters, church family. Let me tell you, this is a big deal. If you want to learn how to forgive, you better be paying attention right now. Because if you, if you learn to keep score, you will be a victim for the rest of your life. Your whole life you'll be a victim. You ever met a victim? I've met many. And I want to tell you something. There is a difference between being a victim and staying a victim. There is a difference. And listen, I understand. Some of you are going, yeah, Jason, but you don't know what they did to me. And you know what? I don't, man. I don't. there, There are atrocities that are done to people many times. But if you've ever met somebody that kept a victim mentality... You see it all the time around you. Somebody was fired from their job. Listen, if you work, there is a high likelihood at some point you're getting fired for something. Or downsized or something. Somebody walks in and says, hey, we're going to eliminate the position. That, that, there's a good chance that's going to happen to you. And so that happened to them when they were 31. And at 51, they're still mad at every single executive they've ever had since. You know Why? Because it was wounded. It felt personal. It was personal. You got released. It was personal. It's hard. But have you ever noticed somebody with a victim mindset? They will, they will operate in all of their life and everybody becomes the problem. You ever seen somebody that can't stand authority figures? So often it's tied back to 
things like a bad dad who they could never please. Or a mother who was so oppressive and domineering they could never please them. And so they just, they don't like anybody above them on the hierarchy. You see, if we don't learn to, to let go of wrongs done to us, we will take on a victim mindset. But you actually have control of what you dwell on. Paul tells us in, in, in his letters to think on whatever thing is pure, noble, whatever thing is right, whatever thing is lovely, whatever thing is of good report. Think on these things. See, you're allowed to choose what you... Listen, you're not... A, Martin Luther said it this way. How do you say it? He said... I have no control over whether or not birds fly over my head, but I do get a choice of whether or not I let them build a nest there. You have total control over what you choose to believe. You have total control over what... That's what your authority in Christ is about. We talk a lot about the authority of Christ at Clearview. You have been given spiritual authority over what you dwell on, friends. And you can choose not to dwell upon grievances because what will happen is... Now, let's go backward for a minute. Remember this verse you just saw a minute ago? Because you might have read right past this. Look at this next verse. It's in Ephesians. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You see, when you let bitterness and wrath and malice, when you let it take up residence in your heart, if you have a, not tenderhearted, but if you have a hard heart, if you do not forgive each other as God has forgiven you, you will grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, my entire, my entire Christian journey, I've watched churches and publishers of all sorts. I've watched denominations. I've watched conferences blogs, websites, videos, magazines. I've watched an obsession happen with church growth. It's great. I mean, publishers, seminaries, denominations, Christian universities, church conferences, leadership conferences, we all would love to see our every church thrive. Christians are, especially Christian leaders in, in my world, we are, we are fascinated with, if we, could, if we could just get the right algorithm, if we could just get the right recipe, if we could just get the right staff with the right people in the right places, our church would grow. If we could relocate over here, or if we could find a new discipleship model, then our church would just explode. And, and we think all of that's going to work. And I'm telling you, there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of it does work. But I want to tell you something that I find in the Holy Scriptures. I don't find a single place in here. Not a single. And if it's there, tell me. Because seriously, I don't want to be wrong. If it's there, tell me. But I haven't found a single place in here that God has anointed an operation or a process. Operations and processes don't get anointing. People do. God anoints people. And I'm not saying operations are... Listen, when we we got to have operations in church life. We have to have processes in church life. We, we, we have to have structures. I mean, come on, of course. I'm not saying... Absolutely. And I'm not saying that church growth conferences and denominations and seminaries and universities and, and conferences for leaders, I'm not saying that's bad. It's all good. I'm saying it's fine. What I'm saying is we can get that stuff right all day long and still grieve the Spirit. And the reason... And let me tell you, the Spirit is not going to anoint something that breaks the heart of God. You hear me? The Holy Spirit doesn't go around anointing things that break God's heart. And an unforgiving heart breaks the heart of God. 
Because it doesn't represent who he is. And I really think, honestly, I really think this is why he brought this up to Peter. Because you see, I think it was his way of saying, hey Peter, in the not so distant future, you're going to be at the tip of the spear of this thing called the early church. Hey Peter, you're going to stand up in front of thousands of people and every one of them are going to get saved. Hey Peter, you're going to stand up and you're going to do something that literally nobody else on the planet at that moment is capable of doing but you. And you've got to get this right, Peter. You've got to get this right. You've got to get this right. You've got to get this out of your heart. Hey, Peter, you're going you're gonna to hamstring your whole ministry. You're going to shackle. You're going to shackle yourself, Peter. They're going to do things to you, Peter. Hey, Paul, they're going to put you in a prison, man. And they're going to chain you to a wall. And they're going to beat you. They're going to beat you. And they're going to tell you, all you got to do is quit. All you got to do is quit. Just say you don't believe anymore. All you got to do is quit. All you got to do is quit. And you're going to be, you're, and you know what, Paul? I know you. And you're not going to quit, but you're going to hate that jailer. You're going to hate them. And see, you short-circuit your whole life when you do that. God is looking at many of you today, and he's going, listen, I want to put you in some places. I do. I want to raise you up to leadership. I I want to help you be a better mom. I want to see you be the best teacher in the school system you can possibly be. I want you to absolutely be the best boyfriend you could ever imagine. I want you. I'm preparing you for a husband that you don't even know is coming your way yet, but that last guy you dated was a total jerk. God said that. And then, maybe. You, you hate him, and you've got to get this right because you're going to carry it into your marriage five years from now. It's going to plague your home. See, you don't understand that sometimes the enemy's setting you up, he's teaching you his ways. The enemy can teach you his ways just like the Spirit can teach you his ways. And you've got to learn to put away things that grieve the Holy Spirit. And I believe. That God was getting Peter ready. Hey, Peter, you just keep forgiving because I want to use you, Peter. Friends, let me tell you something. God anoints people. And if you, if it clear of you, if all of us will be committed to a pure heart, you hearing me right now? And I just speak a word over you. If we're committed to a pure heart, God won't stay away. He won't stay away. He'll come. He'll be a part of that. And we could have the most broken processes. And we could have the most broken structures. Have you ever read this book? Like, did he use, like, the Derek Jeters of the Christian faith? No. That's a baseball player for some of you. That, that. Did he use the Michael Jordans of the Christian faith? Uh-uh. Jesus walked down to the seashore and the docks, and he picked the most salty, vulgar, Fishermen, dudes that literally stunk. You ever been around commercial fishermen? They don't, they smell bad. They need axe. Like to the power of 10. He picked not preachers with doctorates. That, that kind of makes me mad sometimes. I went to a promise keepers one time and uh, John Maxwell no, it was a small conference for pastors, about 200 of us, and John Maxwell, he hadn't really become John Maxwell yet, and 
he had Bill McCartney up there, and he said, hey, fellas, it was a room full of dudes. He said, um, Promise Keepers was just taken off, filling football stadiums with men. He said, does it ever make any of y'all mad that God had to go pick a football coach and he didn't pick any of us to go lead this thing? And I'm like, he kind of does, you know. That's what Jesus did. He picked the crude, the raw. Because you know why? And why am I telling you that? Are you listening? Because God is not interested in your talent. You can't out-talent God. He spoke the world into existence. You can't out-talent God. God is not interested in your talent. He's interested in your heart. He wants a pure heart. And he can use a pure heart. He can use a pure heart. And to have a pure heart, you can't keep a record of wrongs. And that is hard. Because those wrongs are real. Like if my life was a bank statement, I can show you like the negative. That was wrong. Yeah. And if none of this has convinced you yet, let me give you one more. Forgiveness matters because my inheritance in heaven depends upon it. Now, this is hard. (laughs) This is really hard. It's proof of transformation. When you can forgive, it is proof that, that you've actually been transformed. You see, it's really hard for us to imagine a God sometimes that has, has standards. The, 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 the American evangelical church, at least in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years in my estimation, the, the portrait we're painting of Christ is often this God who just runs to you to, to put a Band-Aid on every little soul flaw you've got, and, 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 and he wants to be your BFF, and it's all just to make life better for you. And I'm telling you, when I read the New Testament, yes, Jesus does care about my frailties, and yes, Jesus does want to make my day better, but that is not why Jesus came. Jesus did not come to my life and come into this world to, to just make life better for us as Christians so we can all go to heaven and all when the roll is called up yonder. That is no. That is not his primary purpose. God is far more interested in my holiness than my happiness. And I'm telling you that that he will sometimes drive me to a place where I have got to get this right. Because if you do not have the ability to forgive, friend, listen to me, there's a good chance you haven't ever been forgiven. So I want to do something for you this morning. I want to read something to you, and it's going to be really easy for you to want to recite it in your mind. Don't do that. Just listen to it. Some of you can quote this so easy. But it's the I'm about to read to you the model prayer. And in the model prayer, there's only one thing that Jesus comes back to. Only one. There's only one. There's only one thing that he circles back to say, oh, and by the way, just in case you didn't hear me. So I just want you to listen to it. Our Father who is in heaven, holy be your name. Hallowed be your name. Holy. Your kingdom come. That's a prayer of submission. Your will be done. That's a prayer of submission. I I submit to your will, not mine. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and yours is the power and the glory forever. Amen. Next verse. Here's where he comes back. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world is sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.